could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden, and today is day two of Nerd Sesh's super week of content here as we tune up primarily for the NBA season. Yesterday, we previewed the Pacific Division. I came out with a video today on De'Aaron Fox and why he is so much better than most people think and give him credit for, but today, we are quickly flipping back to the NFL because, of course, we have to address the action that we saw this past weekend. There was lots of good stuff. So today, Logan, it's not going to be an overly long show because, again, we're doing three other ones this week and we have so much to get through content-wise, but we're going to key in on a few really interesting games from this past week, and then at the end, we'll talk about a couple of the main storylines, pose a couple questions that stand out in our mind. But I think we have to start with what, to me, was the most significant game of this week, and that was the Buffalo Bills' dominant victory over the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football capped off a pretty fun day of action overall, but to me, as a supporter of the Buffalo Bills, was maybe the best regular season win that the team has had in my lifetime. I want to throw it over to you first, though. What were some of the key things about this game that stand out to you and that really matter as we look back on it a couple days later? I just think that this game and the Super Bowl have reinforced the formula to defeat the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not saying there's something concrete that you can do every time because Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen, and they have such a volatile offense that they can strike back quickly. But we've seen it twice now, Carson. If you can get pressure with that front four, if your front four is dominant enough to get that pressure home or you can drop everybody else into coverage on these Chiefs' weapons, you can limit this Chiefs' attack. And, I mean, it it worked. Like, in the first half, the Bills did not blitz them whatsoever. And I think you saw that as this game got along, as this game went along, like, panic set in. You know what I mean? Like, and I told you. I said this in our preview for this game. I said this to you before the game, Carson, that if you waited around long enough, then Mahomes has just got that gunslinger in him where he is going to force a few of those balls downfield. And we saw it. They land two picks on Mahomes, and that, you know, swings the game. You can also look at this from the other side of the ball and not in a formulaic way. It's just how dominant this Bills offense was and how horrid this Chiefs defense is. Now, I'm I'm concerned with this Chiefs defense, Carson, especially the secondary, but I do have to recognize the injuries that they have. Uh, they've had injuries with Frank Clark and Chris Jones. I believe Chris Jones missed this game. Uh, he was out. They had a couple of cornerbacks out, so... I'm still hopeful and optimistic for Chiefs fans and uh, supporters that this Chiefs defense will look differently at full health, but we have not seen it. Through five weeks, this has been one of the worst defenses in the NFL, and I laid out all the stats last week about how bad they have been uh, red zone-wise defensively, how bad they have been against third downs defensively, how just how porous they have been against the run, against the pass. They've just been a horrible defense flat out. So I think the big thing is is – uh, this defense uh, has a lot of holes that we need to be concerned about as the way goes along. Again, they've been beat up, Carson, but I think this is just a flat-out bad Chiefs defense. And uh, you made this comp, and I think it's a very apt one. No matter how good your offense is, man, we saw with the the 2000 Rams, the you know this Chiefs team this year, like and Chiefs team from a few years ago. Like it's not just. It can't just be a blanket statement. It cannot be a Gabe Swartz. We have Patrick Mahomes. We don't need to worry about uh, anything. 
I think there are bigger causes for concern here in Kansas City. Okay, so we'll start with the Chiefs. That's where Logan took us, and I don't object to that because I think... I just want you to have the floor, bro. This is your squad. I want you to celebrate and do your little Irish jig here uh, on the pod. Do your little dance. Get your little celebration out. I want you to have the floor on the Bills. Okay. Well, I will get there, but since we're talking about the Chiefs right now, let's stick with that as Logan just spilled a massive amount of coffee over there. I think that there were absolutely some valuable takeaways from this game. And really, it was kind of just an exaggerated version of what we've seen from the Kansas City Chiefs this year in that... You mentioned it. The defensive ineptitude is very, very real. And Chris Jones is an outstanding pass rusher, an outstanding presence on that front. But I don't know that he is single-handedly changing what happens here because really, although sure the Chiefs weren't able to get overwhelming pressure in this game and therefore life wasn't all that tough on the Bills, what killed them here was just shockingly bad lapses in the secondary. And this has been a storyline kind of throughout this year with Daniel Sorensen, but he had two unbelievable lapses in this game where you're letting up massive chunk plays and at the end of the day Josh Allen averaged 21 yards per completion in this game and should have had three very long touchdowns if Stefan Diggs understands that there's actually a DB kind of on his back and doesn't start celebrating before he's in the end zone like that was show that's what was so shocking about this game to me it's the defense was so inept that you looked up at halftime And the Bills had 24 points, right? And it felt like they should have had 30 to 34 because they left points on the board after forcing a fumble and starting with the ball on Kansas City's 31-yard line. And they would have been inside the 20 if not for a pretty pointless holding call on Deion Dawkins on a mistake that really had nothing to do with the outcome of the play. They probably would have scored a touchdown there. But at the very least, they're getting a field goal. They end up getting nothing because of that penalty. And then you have... What would have been, again, damn near a walk-in touchdown for Stefan Diggs if he didn't start celebrating prematurely and they end up only getting a field goal out of that. So if you are going to let up 30 to 34 points to anybody in a half, it doesn't matter. It can be one of the best offenses in football. It can be the Buffalo Bills. That tells you that there is a serious problem with your team, clearly. And we had seen it up to this point really almost every time out for the Chiefs. But this was just a particularly glaring instance of it. And I think that we are at the point with them as a team where they are too bad defensively to win the Super Bowl. And I'm not saying that they'll necessarily end up there, but I am saying that that's where they're at right now. And I still think they will beat almost everybody but the elite teams by just scoring 30 to 35 points a game. But I do also think that we have seen, obviously, teams find the roadmap to at least making them really work for their points offensively. And that's really all the Bills did in this one. They just made them work. They just made them sustain drives, and it ended up leading to a couple of turnovers, and you get a really nice defensive play from Greg Rousseau, who bats a ball up at the line of scrimmage. It's just the more plays you have, the more plays you force the Chiefs to execute correctly without giving them those massive chunk plays, the more opportunities you give yourself to force a mistake like that or for them to have a self-inflicted error. So I think that that's what we've seen. The Chiefs are still going to put up a whole ton of points. It's still one of the best offenses I've ever seen. And they can still score a lot, even if they are just kind of taking what the defense gives them. And again, working that kind of patient, sustained drives because they had missed opportunities in this one. They could have scored more points. Mahomes missed some throws and the Bills got some pressure. And so all these things were kind of working against them. But most teams are not going to be able probably to take away this Chiefs offense whatsoever. 
But again, I do not feel right now that this is an invincible team. I feel that this is a team that is two and three for a reason. They're still really good. They're still one of the five best teams in football, in my opinion, even if they let up 30 points a game. I don't care because when push comes to shove, I want Patrick Mahomes and I want these weapons and I want this schematic brilliance that they have and all these things. But we can't just disregard this as some regular season loss because it's now five games in a row where we've seen the same issues recurring. And this was just like, what is happening? Because it's not like they forced the Bills to play good, sustained football here. It was just, oh, chunk play, chunk play, game is over. Like, that's what the first half was. It was just effortless, deep balls, and only a few of those plays will completely kill you. Yeah, and I mean, I told you this during the game, Carson. Sorensen in the secondary played like a played like a Chiefs fan that was under the inclination, we have Patrick Mahomes, we have nothing to worry about. Like, that just, that doesn't happen. It's inexcusable. On the flip side of this, though, Carson, it's in the thumbnail. You tweeted it out during the game. I think you have to look at this Bills team as the best in football. And I don't, like, everything that was wrong with the Bills last season, everything that let them down in the playoffs, it's corrected. Like, Offensively, maybe you look at a lack of weapons outside of Stephon Diggs. That's correct. And I'm not, I don't want to downplay like Cole Beasley or John Brown, but they're improved there. Emmanuel Sanders is a monster. He is the perfect complimentary receiver to have alongside a number one. Dawson Knox is much improved. Had a couple of massive plays in this game. Devin Singletary is much improved. Zach Moss is getting in on the ground now. Like all of these weapons are improved. This offensive line has gotten better. The biggest issue, the pass rush. Greg Rousseau is a monster, Carson. You've been banging that drum for that kid since the uh, start of this season. The pass rush is much improved. They were able to get pressure with four. A.J. Klein is a monster in the middle of the field. And this is still one of the best secondaries in the NFL. Like, any hole, any issue you could have with this Bills team, it's corrected. And so I completely agree with you, Carson. I think that it's a it's a tight race between four teams for me outside of the Chiefs. Bills, Bucks, Rams, and Cardinals, I think, are my definitive top four. But I think I like the Bills more than all of them because they have the second-best quarterback in football in Josh Allen. And look, I don't know how you can look at what Josh has done this year and what Josh did last year and not think that the margins between him and Patrick Mahomes are stupid close, bro. I know you were pushing back on me, uh, pushing back on that statement even during the game. I think it is, bro. Josh is special, dude. And Josh is... Carson, I just think it is... I, I think it's I think it's hair thin, bro. I think it is stupid close, the race between him and Mahomes. You know why? Josh Allen deals with pressure better than any other quarterback in the NFL. And I will stamp my foot on that, bro. I don't think Mahomes deals with pressure like Josh Allen does, man. Josh is so poised when the pocket collapses, when that pressure gets home. Like, I just... I think it's close, bro. I think it is stupid close for Josh as the best quarterback in the NFL versus Mahomes. I'm not there with you. And look, you're not going to find many bigger Josh Allen fans out there. Like I was saying to you yesterday, I could see him very easily ending up as my favorite athlete ever. Not only do I think he is an amazing football player to watch and a phenomenal talent and a guy who has taken this franchise to heights that seemed previously impossible, I just love his personality. I love his energy and his passion for the game. Like, the guy is just awesome. But Patrick Mahomes still does things to me on just a different level than I've ever seen from anybody else. In physical tools, 
Maybe Josh has more if you're just lining up the combination of size and speed and raw arm strength, but I still think there's a level of accuracy. There's a level of delivering from different arm angles from Mahomes that like Josh is an artist there too. Josh throws into tight windows with insane velocity and can throw sidearm balls that just make your jaw drop. He can do that better than everybody but Patrick Mahomes to me. Like I still think there's a distinction to be made there, but regardless, there is no question right now about who has the better team and who has the better infrastructure around him. Because while one dude has the worst defense in football, or at least a group that is in the conversation, this Bills defense is the top scoring unit in football. They have forced the most turnovers in football, and they have been consistently outstanding this year. And you said it, man. I've given this spiel before, so I don't need to run through all the numbers again, but they went from having the rushing attack offensively as a question mark, and now they're top five in rushing yards, top 10 in yards per attempt. The run defense was not great last year. Well, now they're top five in both yards allowed and yards per attempt allowed. The pass rush is so significantly improved, and there is a depth in on this defensive line that is just ridiculous, where you can cycle in Epinesa, Epinesa and Rousseau, and even Boogie Basham can come in and have an impact in certain situations. Like, it is just a nearly perfect football team in that last year they had this outstanding passing attack, but again, you could make them one-dimensional, you could run the ball on them, and if you had a great quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, you could dissect this defense just because they weren't going to put enough pressure on you. I don't feel like any of those statements are true right now, and I just don't think, even though a lot of people are making this about, oh, look at the Chiefs' flaws and whatnot, that the Bills could have done this last year. I don't know if they could have, again, generated a solid enough pass rush. Not like that was the key to this game, but last year's AFC Championship game was painful. I don't know, as you mentioned, that they could have had the variety of explosive weapons that they did in this game. Emmanuel Sanders is outstanding and has been maybe the Bills' best receiver on this year. Like, obviously, I'm not going to project him to be better than Stephon Diggs, but man, does that dude get open. He can do it on every level, and he's just outstandingly impressive. And then Dawson Knox is an absolute revelation, man. Like, not only is he the leading red zone target right now and a guy who has five touchdowns, but he has legitimate mobility, can get open downfield, can make contested catches, and we had seen little moments from him in the past, but the consistency this year has just been on a different level. So it's like if they're going to be efficient running the ball – if they're going to stop the run defensively, we already know that they are right up there as a top five secondary, no question in football. Might be better than that, Logan. Like, I don't know if there's a better safety tandem. I don't know if there are three better corners than Trey White. Like, they're outstanding there. And then it's just like you run all that down and then you have a top two, top three quarterback in football. To me, nobody is on this level right now. And we probably needed this game to affirm that because you can shut out the Dolphins and you can shut out the football team and you can, excuse me, you can wallop the football team and shut out the Texans and all of that is very impressive, but it's just different when you do it against the Kansas City Chiefs because none of those teams I think anybody viewed as being all that impressive, all that intimidating, but the Bills are not making mistakes right now. They're forcing mistakes. They are being incredibly efficient offensively and I just think this is the best team in football and honestly, I guess the Bucks would maybe come close as far as being just so complete. But this team does not have a weakness. Damn straight. I want to address something that Marty's bringing up in the chat here. He's kind of blanketing the Chiefs' issues 
to the turnover margin. They're negative seven here. And I just think that's a foolish take, Marty. I'm going to keep it a buck with you, bro. Like, I don't know how you can watch the Chiefs so far through this season. Carson, they're allowing 8.6 yards per attempt. Like, how can you... It's just a foolish take, brother. I, I love you, Marty. That's not it, my man. I, the Chiefs have a myriad of issues. And honestly, Carson, like, I think they're... Like, you can look at the 2-3 and three record. They're susceptible week to week, man. Like, this is a team that I could... Look... People called me crazy. You you called me crazy for saying that a team like the Titans could take down the Chiefs in the playoffs. I don't think that take looks as crazy now, does it? Like, I don't know, bro. I think the Chiefs are susceptible to any elite offense. We saw it with the Ravens. We saw it with the Bills. Like, I don't know, man. The Chiefs are not going to have a bye this year. If they do, it is going to take literally them winning out the rest of the season. I don't see that happening. Dude, I just think the Chiefs are in trouble if they get matched up against any high-octane offensive attack. Even Cleveland, dude, how close they got played to them week one. Like, the Chiefs are in trouble. They go up against any of these top offenses, and I could see them losing in the first round to the to the Bills. To Well, the Bills are gonna, hopefully going to have a bye. To the Browns, to the Ravens, to the Chargers if they get matched up. If the Raiders somehow sneak in and have a you know complete season turnaround. Look, bro, that offense is still great. Um... Any top offense, the Titans, the Colts with what they did this last week. Like, if you were a Chiefs fan, if you were a Chiefs supporter, I think you need to be scared, bruh. This feels like overreaction Tuesday to me. Like, yeah, a lot of things can happen in a single game in football, but there's still not an offense that I trust more in the NFL. And uh, I just think that I'm going to bet on the Chiefs overwhelmingly to win on the back of that. Like, the Raiders, bro? No. The Titans... No, sure, they can win a single game, but it's like a 10-15% probability, if that. Like, unequivocally to me, Patrick Mahomes is just going to make those defenses look foolish. And we saw in that Browns game, yeah, they were slow to get started, and then when they wanted to, they kicked it into gear. I think you need to be not only exceptional offensively, but you still need to be pretty good defensively to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And I am not taking anybody other than the Buffalo Bills over them in a meaningful single-game format. The Ravens are great. They have their issues defensively too right now. The Chargers, I have not been overly impressed by defensively. So even if the Chiefs are totally a cut below those teams defensively, no question, they flat-out suck, you're telling me they have 12 games to get it figured out to just be mediocre To just be honestly, even poor would be fine. It'd be better than abysmal and unthinkably bad as they have been. That's all they need to do to me to re-enter like fringe contention at the very least. I think they're already a fringe contender with the worst defense in football because I don't know that, again, many teams can stop them. The Bills showed you a formula, but still, without some self-imposed errors in this one, then I think that this is a more competitive game, although the Chiefs couldn't get a stop. But the Bills' offense did let up a little bit as this game went along. All I'm saying is that in a shootout scenario, which is what the Chiefs are going to be in basically every game the rest of the way if we don't see improvement from the secondary, I'm not saying there's I'm not saying they're not a Super Bowl contender. I still think the Chiefs are a Super Bowl contender and could go on a run in the playoffs. They have Patrick Mahomes. When you have a quarterback that talented, you always have a chance to reach the Super Bowl. All I'm saying is this secondary is poor enough where against an average offensive attack, we could see a shootout week to week. And this is just something that the Chiefs have not had to worry about. They've just steamrolled everybody they've played for the past two seasons. And I think, like, I don't know, man. It seems like through these first five weeks, we are just seeing a team that has gotten too comfortable, too relaxed, too reliant on Patrick Mahomes. We're just, 
oh yeah, we're just going to steamroll everybody. We're just going to take them out. That's not the case anymore. I don't know. I just feel like the Chiefs week to week need to game plan better. They need to prepare more. And look, resident Chiefs fans out here, PTG, Peyton T. Gallagher, and Gabe Swartz have told us about the genius of Spag, bro. Spags has got to get it figured out too, bro. We need, we just need a drastic turnaround before I have faith in in the Chiefs. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious during the broadcast on Sunday night. Collins were talking about how Spags was gonna pull out the blitzes. Oh, he's gonna get aggressive here, and it's like, dude, I mean, I don't know why we're still keying in on the brilliance of a defensive coordinator who has gotten embarrassed time and again this year, particularly in this game. So. I think that right now, there is a gap between these two teams. Like, these are not neck-and-neck contenders. And I said coming into this game, I think the Bills are clearly the better all-around team right now, but there's still an element of you need to see it to believe it, and I will always be terrified of Patrick Mahomes, and I will always think he is immortal, and I will never write the Chiefs off because of that. But as far as all-around football teams go, there is unequivocally a gap between these two And I don't know if I could say there's a gap between the Bills and everybody, but I think that they are definitely holding on to that number one spot right now. Because again, I still don't feel like they've played their perfect all-around game. Like Josh hit on the big stuff in this game, but also they didn't have those sustained drives and they didn't need them because they pulled away so much early on. Maybe I just have really, really high expectations for this team, but I think that what we've seen from them is absolutely what they are. Like, there is nothing that is remotely fraudulent or unsustainable to me. Maybe forcing the turnovers, sure, but when you have a great secondary, when you have playmakers on that end, you're going to force turnovers, and they don't need that. Like, this is an elite defense, and this is what, honestly, I hoped was going to happen coming into this year. I said I thought they were going to be a good bit improved there, but to see it play out like this, where they are genuinely elite again, it's just remarkable. You were talking about Collinsworth banging the drum of Spags, and I feel like this is redundant on this podcast because if you have listened to us uh, talk football for the past year, you know how big we have been on Josh Allen. Can you just please clear up the stupid misconceptions that this isn't sustainable? This is redundant. I agree on this podcast. Can you please just explain that this is not uh, something that we shouldn't expect from Josh Allen, that he is... He's just one of the best QBs in the NFL. I just, I hate that Chris Collinsworth during that entire broadcast treated this as some spectacular performance from Josh Allen, that this is, oh my God, we've never seen this before. Like, Chris, did you watch football last year? Josh Allen was my MVP. If I had chosen the award, I would have given him the MVP award. And you said, maybe I'm just making the case here at this point, but Jesus, dude. Like, how can you still have these questions about Josh Allen as a quarterback after what we have seen through five weeks this year and what we saw all of last year? I just think it's foolish to question if this is sustainable at this point. Uh, To me, it's one of the most laughable narratives that continues in football, and people act like this is some coronation. Bro, Josh played five times better two weeks ago against the football team. He was a maestro in that game. In this game, yeah, he made some great throws, to wide open receivers downfield because he has great weapons and the Chiefs defense sucks. And yeah, they're impressive throws again and they're way downfield, but it's not like that's a standout moment for Josh Allen. 
That's at the very least what you expect from him. And yeah, he had a great game on the ground. So what, dude? That's what he does every time out. He's Cam Newton with an incredible arm. And he's a more accurate thrower by a long shot. And I still, again, don't think that this is like even a question. You're asking me why I should tell people this is sustainable from Josh. I think Josh should be better. I don't think Josh has played up to his standards through five weeks. Like what we saw last year was a transcendent talent. And you don't see guys play 16 great games and then just fall off a cliff. Like even in the outlier seasons, people talk about Cam. Cam didn't even complete 60% of his passes, man. Josh completed 70% of his passes last year. He has the infrastructure, he has the coaching, he has the weapons, and he has every single ounce of the talent and the determination. So why would anybody bet against him? And why would anybody bet against the Buffalo Bills right now? I do not know. But this is a team that is firing on all cylinders. It is leaps and bounds above a group that went 13-3 and last year. And outside of a performance that, it was an, that was an anomaly in every conceivable way against the Steelers, every way, down to special teams, this team has been the best in football. And we're only going to continue to see that. Because if you look at their next few games, I think that they're going to have another dominant offensive performance against the Titans. I think they're going to destroy the Dolphins again. I think that they're going to kill the Jags. And like this team is just going to keep on rolling. And there's something else, man. They are really something else right now. And it was just an incredible thing to see because last year it felt like entering their matchups with the Chiefs, particularly the AFC Championship game, I felt like they were on even footing as a team. Probably not for the regular season game, but for the AFC Championship game, yes. In fact, I picked them to win. And then you saw it in reality, and it was like they're just hanging on for dear life, and they're not on the same level. And this time, it felt very much like the opposite was true, and like they were, again, heads and shoulders above this Kansas City team. So the Bills, man, they are here, and I think that they are clearly the Super Bowl favorite. And by the way, I picked them to go to the Super Bowl before the year. You did as well? No, you did not. You picked the Chiefs? I picked this bum squad. The Bills have always been my second favorite out of the AFC. Like, that's never been a question for me. I expect this to be sustained. My favorite team in all of the NFL. You're exactly right. This is not only sustainable. The Bills could get even better from here on out. And that's, that's kind of crazy to say. No weaknesses and brilliant coaching and game-changing talent offensively. Like, I just don't know what there is to question. I just, I'm laughing, bro. Marty told me I should stop watching football because I said I'd take Lamar Jackson over Tom Brady at this point. <laughs> that's a tough one. I don't want to get into that right now. I have them in a very similar tier of quarterbacks. Lamar, though, something else. Honestly, let's talk about this game right now. I was going to talk about Niners-Cardinals before because we actually went to that game, and I think I have plenty to say about it. But let's touch on what we saw last night in the Monday night game because the primetime games this season continue to be exceptional. This was just another iteration of that. Ends up being an insane comeback by Lamar and the Ravens from down 25-3 to to win that game in overtime. Lamar in the second half in overtime 
was 29 of 32 passing, 335 yards, four touchdowns. Just like, honestly, one of the most sparkling halves of football from an individual player that I think we have ever seen. But what were your takeaways from this one? I thought I thought we kind of had a false narrative in the, in the second half being drudged up about the Ravens being extremely resilient. I thought the Colts just lost this one more than anything else here late. Don't get me wrong. Lamar was fantastic, but the Colts had so many opportunities to put this team away. You have the extra point missed by Rod. You have the two field goals missed by Rod, which also, bro, how do you not block a 6'8", 6'9"? Like, that's what... Calais does, bro. Calais has been doing this for a decade in the NFL. Like, he's the biggest dude on the field. How are you not looking out for him to block kicks? And I think Rod just shanked the second one because it was in his head. But I just, I was so impressed. This is the best game that I've seen from Indianapolis all season long. I thought this is the best. Carson Wentz has looked all year long. Over 400 yards, no turnovers, two TDs. You saw Jonathan Taylor eat on the ground against a really good run defense. You saw him eat in the receiving game. I was supremely impressed with how Indianapolis played this game. In that same breath, I don't want to undersell what the Ravens did because to erase a 16-point deficit in 12 minutes and then finish it off in overtime was very impressive. I was just I was just let down with, with the Colts just not finishing and putting this one away. But yeah, I mean, you have to be impressed with Baltimore. To I, I say resilient. I also think it's been a bit of luck in the games they've ended this season uh, again all the Lions, I've already been over the Ravens finishes in this year, but I just felt, you know, a lot of these games should have been, you know, a, a little, we should have seen um, a little more separation in the scores at the end of the game for Baltimore. That being said, the one knock I will say, Lamar was phenomenal in the second half through the air, and I think my dad, I talked to him uh, about this game because he watched every snap of it, and he still says he is skeptical of Lamar in the big moments and when it comes to the playoffs, and I still think that's a reasonable thing to have, but it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know how you can watch a performance like that and still still stick with that narrative. Lamar has improved drastically as a passer every single year. Like, if there's a thing that you're going to be upset with Lamar about, it's for still holding the ball like a loaf of bread. Come on, Lamar. Tuck that thing, bruh. I think it's, I think it's a, a microcosm of the issue with the Ravens' offense and the injuries that they continue having to use him as this power runner because of the injuries they suffered in the backfield. Like... With his fumbling issues, and this has not just been in this game, Lamar has had this issue every single year he's been the starting quarterback, just fumbles in the red zone in general. To me, they just need a power back to give the rock to, to where you're not worrying about the fumble. Because what was it, almost three? Like, you just can't do that. You cannot give up those opportunities. But to me, Lamar dispelled everything that I've, you know, all the issues about him as a passer. I'm not worried about Lamar in the air anymore. I'm not worried about the Ravens not being able to sustain drives in the playoffs and, uh, you know, through the passing attack. Like, I was impressed with the Ravens, but I was more let down with how the Colts just didn't put this one away. But props to them, dude. It's hard to erase a two-possession deficit in 12 minutes, and, and they did it, and then sent it into OT and finished the job. So, I don't know. I wanted the Colts to finish this off, but it was a, it was a solid performance, nonetheless, by the Ravens. Yeah, I should correct myself first of all because you said it right. The deficit was 22 to 3. It never got up to 25 to 3. It was 25-9. I'm with you to an extent because the Colts 1000% should have won this football game and it's kind of ridiculous that they didn't because they had a decisive advantage clearly, but they continued to move the ball throughout and they were getting the ball in field goal range and then as you said just weren't finishing drives. So 
they definitely deserve to win this one. At the same time, it's not like the Ravens didn't play an outstanding offensive game. Maybe not throughout. I mean, certainly more towards the end, but they had the possession where they were driving, and then all of a sudden, the dynamic is flipped because Lamar fumbles and the Colts are going the other way on what was initially that touchdown off of the lateral. But like the Ravens were moving the ball pretty effortlessly at some stretches of this game. And what I think is so outstanding is that they were able to produce 31 points, sure, with overtime, a little extra period in there, but when they got 24 non-Lamar Jackson rushing yards, in other words, 24 total yards of offense that were not generated by Lamar. Like, it's not like he had an exceptional game on the ground. This was just, to me, his best passing performance ever. And on the day, only two of his completions were thrown more than 20 yards downfield, He had that one beautiful deep ball to Hollywood Brown, but other than that, he was just dissecting them, man, and the Ravens' weapons were going to work in space, too, and Mark Andrews was fantastic just getting open over and over again, but I thought it was an incredibly composed, accurate performance from Lamar, and really, really impressive because he was able to do what a lot of people have said has been his Achilles heel in that he was able to have an incredible game throwing the football when everybody knew he was going to throw the football. And I have said, too, that so much of his success as a passer is enabled by his threat as a runner and the play action and just scheming guys wide open over the middle of the field. And in this game, he had to do more than that. He had to create the plays with his arm. And even if it wasn't a whole ton of insane stuff outside of the pocket, way downfield, he was a great game-managing quarterback, effectively, and some. And I thought that that was just really impressive. But... The Colts absolutely should have won this game, and although the Ravens are sitting here, and I think that they're a top three team in the AFC, as I would have anticipated before the season, and they're 4-1, and one, I can't say that I'm not concerned about this defense, particularly the pass defense, dude, because obviously a couple losses to the secondary as compared to last year, but like, it was just another concerning performance. We saw them get dominated by the Chiefs through the air. We saw them get dominated by Derek Carr and the Raiders and let up over 400 yards in week one. And then they played two unimpressive passing attacks against the Lions and the Broncos and survived in those matchups. But now you let the Colts throw for 390 yards on you and it's explosive plays, dude. Like the 76-yard touchdown from Taylor, the 42-yard touchdown from Pittman. The Colts just did not have trouble moving the ball through the air at any point in this game. And the Ravens are now 28th in passing yards allowed. They're 25th in passing yards per attempt. It is just shocking regression compared to what they were last year when their secondary was right up there for the absolute strength of this team and the strength of this defense, which was an excellent one. So that is concerning to me if you're talking about their Super Bowl aspirations. I think it's a very, very good team. I think this was a good win. And ultimately, although I think that the storyline will be how incredible Lamar was, this game meant a lot more for the Colts because the Ravens could have sat here at 3-2 and two and they would have been just fine. But the Colts needed this win, dude. And they had this game. And by the way, in my eyes, they could have really regained their status as favorites in this division because the Titans suck. And yet, now they're sitting at 1-4, and four, dude, and that is just a tough, tough deficit to climb out of. So... I agree with you. The Colts definitely are feeling this loss, not only because of how painful it was as an individual game, but because of what it means to their potential this season as a whole. Although I do think they're the best team in the AFC South. 
That is how I feel at this point. I think that although nothing about this team has been as impressive as we would have hoped, they are solid all around. And the Tennessee Titans are not solid all around, especially when they're down to Julio Jones and when their offensive line has been just devoured like it has been and Ryan Tannehill has taken 20 sacks. I trust the Colts more as an overall football team, but they're 1-4 and four right now, and that's tough to dig out of. Yeah, and I think the biggest issue has been, as you said, Carson, finishing drives. Again, two scoring plays from you know over 45 yards out. This is the worst red zone offense in football. That's a problem. Like That has been the biggest issue for the Colts moving forward. Now, as you mentioned, the schedule should get a little bit easier. They've got the Texans, Titans, Jets, and Jags coming up. But the Colts are going to have to damn near win out. Like I mean, again, they've got easy in-division games against the Texans and Jags. But it's going to be tough, dude. They really desperately needed this one. I still believe in them. I still expect them to be a fringe playoff team come the end of the season. But again, sitting at 1-4 and four is just such a tough uphill climb. I do want to touch on your point about the Ravens secondary. Look, dude, they've got the Chargers and Bengals coming up. We're really going to know what they're made of because these are two high-octane passing attacks. At the Chargers, Herbert and Mike Williams are going to take these guys over the top. Keenan Allen, Jared Cook. Like, if Brandon Staley can come up with a game plan, like, I expect... I expect another shootout between the Chargers and the Ravens. And then Cincinnati, this offensive line is so much more improved. They have bought so much time for Joe Burrow in the pocket, and there are so many receiving weapons all up and down this roster. Like, the Ravens are going to get tested these next two weeks, and we're really going to know what this passing uh, this passing defense is made of. Um, and if they really can be true contenders, again, when you are going to have to take on the Bills, the Chiefs, and the playoffs, it's just going to be tough. Who do you trust more right now, the Ravens or the Chiefs? Man, that's a tough question. Dude, I want to say Kansas City just because of the Patrick Mahomes factor, but damn, that's a tough question. Probably Baltimore. It's weird to say. I trust their run defense. I like their linebackers. Like, I just like their defense a little more. I trust them to get a moderate amount of pressure home and to stop the run. And Lamar is just consistent, dude. Lamar is just consistent offense. I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes isn't, but that defense is horrible. So it's really tight, but I'd probably give it to Baltimore. Probably the logical answer at this point. Uh, the better all-around football team, but I think flawed enough to where I would still lean on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense by a pretty narrow margin. And I think that those are the second and third best teams in the AFC, even if the Chiefs, again, haven't looked like that record-wise or whatever, and the defense has sucked, when push comes to shove, I do still believe in this team compared to most, but not all, and that's where they stand right now. Okay, so we said that we were going to key in on three really major games this weekend. The third, as I hinted at earlier, is one that we were at, Logan. We went over to State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona with my lovely family, and we watched a little bit of Niners-Cardinals football. And I feel like we have some pretty interesting takeaways from that game. I do at least. Significant one, too, because the Cardinals remain undefeated. They're 5-0. and The Niners now, who I think were overwhelmingly seen as a playoff team before the season, are 2-3. and So what were sort of the major takeaways from this one to you? Uh, the biggest takeaway is that if Trey Lance is going to be the quarterback in these coming weeks, Kyle Shanahan has got to change his game plan. He has got to get him up to game speed. Uh, we hammered this during the game, Carson, on the way back here to our apartment. Like, Trey's just not ready. Like, <laughs> this is weird to say, man. You can tell that Trey played at a D2 school almost, like, behind this uh, behind this O-line. Like, 
Trey just acted like he had all day to throw back there and that his legs were just going to buy him all the time in the world. And they won't do Like, there were snaps where he was holding the ball for 8 to 10 seconds. You can't do that in the league. You got to get the ball out within three seconds. And Carson, I just kept waiting for it to like like a light bulb moment to like go off in his head like, oh, I should probably hit this slant. I should probably hit this out route. I should probably hit this drag quickly. And it just never did. Also on that, like I hinted at, I think Kyle Shanahan has to change up how they ran this offense because in the first half, honestly, into the third quarter, so many plays were just QB draw, QB rollout, just try to run it, try to use your legs. And the Cardinals defense was just able to key in on that. That's not going to work. Like what they should have done was try to establish the, the short passing game a little earlier on, which again is easier said than done when Trey is trying to hold on the ball for eons. But that being said, like he just didn't even try. They just tried to run it down their throats and it just never worked. And then when it came late in the game, Trey was not ready. Uh, he had a few big plays late, but the Cardinals just didn't fear the passing attack for good reason, and it just led to non-sustainable offense. I mean, what they went—they went forward on fourth down five times. I don't. What they didn't get any of them, or they got one of them. Excuse me, but I, you just—I think if Lance is going to be the quarterback moving forward, he's got to get the pass. He's got to simplify this playbook for one. For two, just get the passing game established earlier on. Because if not, I just don't know how this. I don't know how we see anything different from this game. I, I don't. They could have tied this up, you know, if Trey gets in on that uh, on that close rush where he stopped at the one, and this is a tight game, and I'll give the 49ers defense credit, but I just think he needs to simplify this playbook. They need to establish the passing game earlier and keep defenses on their toes, or I don't really see this 49ers uh, offense being dynamic enough for defenses to be on their toes, to be scared of them. Well, I think that what we pretty clearly saw in this game is that Trey Lance is not going to start at any point this year, in my opinion, that would be foolish. And the Niners are optimistic that Jimmy is going to be back by their next game because they have their bye right now. And by the way, Trey Lance is actually now dealing with a right knee sprain of his own. But I think you touched on the key point. It's just the lack of awareness and feel for how the quarterback position is played in the NFL. Out of 35 qualified passers this year, Trey Lance has the longest average time to throw and no stat has ever felt truer than that Logan like I went out looking for that stat because I was like I don't know who else is going to be in that same conversation and it was him at 3.12 seconds he had more carries in this game with 16 than completed passes with 15 which I will also tell you is reflective of his inability to get the ball out quickly because those aren't even counting towards his time to throw but half of those, or close to half of those, are extended plays in which he's not confident throwing the ball into a tight window, or he doesn't quite see the play developing as he likes it, and then his instinct is to try to extend the play, to try to run with the football, and there were some situations in which it's just bad decision-making. Like, I think he very clearly induced several holds on the Niners in this game because they were just trying to protect him for way longer than is reasonable. And I think that there were some situations where you just look at him and you go, what are you doing? In one situation, he left a clean pocket and ran directly into a sack. And those are just the kind of things that made it feel like he was the part of this team that was holding them back in this game. Because other than this dude, the defense was very good with the exception of a couple of drives. They forced a turnover that put him in position. Like, they were successful in a lot of areas in this game, 
but you just never had that trust in the quarterback position. As you mentioned, one of five on fourth downs, three of 11 on third downs. Like, he wasn't all that accurate as a thrower, but it was more just that he was not put in positions to throw the ball downfield consistently, and when he was, he did not look prepared to be in those situations. So, I'm not going to say anything definitive about what he can be long-term, because I think outstanding athlete, like unreal what he can do with his feet. When he does successfully extend a play and make a throw outside of the pocket, it's like, that is exciting. He's got a nice arm. All these things, it's just a massive adjustment right now, and he is far, far away. Like, again, he just does not play like an NFL quarterback yet. He plays like a very talented guy who just doesn't have that understanding and that presence. And that may come with time, but if you're telling me I can have that or I can have Jimmy Garoppolo, who's just going to be solid and polished and productive, just give me Jimmy G for this year. No, I I think I'm glad you brought that up because I will say something about Trey long-term. I'm really impressed with just physically what he can bring. Like he has, again, I don't want to compare them arm-wise because I think that Allen and Mahomes are the two most talented arm talents in the NFL today. The extension of plays that Trey can bring you long term, like it's like it's otherworldly. And if Trey can just develop, and that's what I think the beauty of it is, Trey struggles in the easiest aspect to develop in the quarterback position now, just staying in, making those reads, and not panicking. That's the easiest thing to develop. You just have to calm him down, get him adjusted to the NFL game. Obviously, it's the you know aspect of his game that needs to grow the most, but. Again, it's a simple fix. You just have to get him to be comfortable and to have faith in his offensive line that they're going to, you know, protect him for three seconds and he just needs to deliver those balls out more. But I think long-term, dude, I'm infatuated. I think this kid's going to be a beast. Like, he's one of the fastest quarterbacks in the NFL now. He's got a cannon. And while he didn't make, he didn't connect on his receivers a lot of the time, he did have some, some bad overthrows in this game. He did have one deep ball to Debo late in this game that I thought, wow, man, that's just special. You know, he rolled out of the pocket, extended a play, delivered a strike downfield right on the money to Debo. Again, it's just a flash, but I think further down the line, if you give him a year or two, I think Trey could be doing this consistently and be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Again, there's a long way to go. There's a long adjustment period that needs to be held, but I'm still confident in this kid long-term just because guys just don't have these physical intangibles at the quarterback position nowadays, man. Yeah. I think he really provides an interesting contrast to another obviously prominent rookie quarterback in Zach Wilson because both these guys have the skill sets to be these really dazzling playmakers and one guy in Zach Wilson is way too willing to just go ahead and try to throw every ball that he can up there and then Trey again was trying to make plays with his feet but he just didn't trust his arm and I think that my young brother Ben made a good point in that Part of the reason for that hesitance is probably that he is not seeing guys who are college open. You play at North Dakota State, and guess what? You've got more talent on the football field than anybody who you're going to face. You play in the NFL, the windows are tight, the decisions have to be made quickly, and the throws have to be accurate and confident, and that just to me is an area in which he still needs to develop considerably. But I thought it was fun to see him, and I think that clearly he does have some natural talent that not many guys do, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops. But in no world do I think he is the guy who the Niners need right now because I don't think this team is winning a Super Bowl no matter what, but they're definitely not winning a Super Bowl with Trey Lance because he may be seen as a guy who can be a ceiling raiser for them and that he's actually dynamic, 
Long-term, sure. But right now, I'll say it again, he was the element holding this team back. And uh, again, you just can't throw that guy out there week after week after week. You have anything else about the Niners, or should we talk about the undefeated team that ended up coming out on top in this one? We'll move on to him. I just want to say one more thing, too. Uh, you said this during the game. Trey can't keep getting hit like this, like, and I don't think they can continue using him in these power sets. Like they, if it's going out and just signing some big bowling ball back that can you know, bash up the middle, it's the one dynamic of this 49ers offense that is really missing. And like, even if it's just subbing him in for one play, you're going to get this kid killed, dude. He cannot keep taking shots like that. That one at the goal line, that scared the hell out of me. I mean, he took a shot right to the back of his head. You're going to get that kid killed. It reminds me of, like, Lamar when he started out, and Lamar's just kind of like a... That dude's like a fruit roll-up, bro. He just kind of pops back out. Lamar is flexible. I don't get that with Trey, dude. You're going to get that kid really beat up, and I don't want to see that now. On the Cardinals, I was underwhelmed. I was really underwhelmed, dude. Like, to me, if the Cards can't establish the run, Carson, I'm really worried about them in just the dynamics of this offense. Like, I thought... I thought the Niners did a tremendous job of sealing Kyler up in the pocket the best they could and containing him. I thought they did a really good job of just shutting the run game down completely. Edmonds couldn't really get anything going. Connor was decent when they gave him his touches up the middle, but it's really shut down. The only thing that this reinforced to me was that eventually, eventually, if you let the Cardinals linger around, because this did not feel like a, a, a dazzling Cardinals victory, a dominant victory. The 49ers let them hang around in this game. If you let the Cardinals linger, that big play is going to come. If it's Rondale Moore making a big play on the sideline, if it's Rondale Moore catching a screen and dancing around guys, if it's Christian Kirk over the middle, or in this instance, if it's DeAndre Hopkins on a 40-yard bomb downfield, that big play is coming and you are going to lose because you let them hang around. And again, that big play is always just looming when you have the caliber of weapons that this Cardinals offense does on that big play, though. Completely avoidable. I don't know who that was in coverage. That dude had the pick. He was standing right in front of DeAndre Hopkins. The ball was coming down. And I'm not saying, I can't say concretely. He had a 50-50 ball. And 50-50 balls tend to be 100% DeAndre Hopkins. But still... I agree with you. It was very poorly played. He could have contested it somehow, and I agree. You're probably not going to win a jump ball versus D-Hop. He's the best jump ball receiver in football. That being said, you could at least make it difficult. You know, he acted like DeAndre had cooties. He was like, no, get away from me, man. I'm, <laughs> You know, he's, he, he literally ran 10 yards away from D-Hop, planted his foot, and then realized, oh, shit, the ball's right where DeAndre's standing uncontested, D-Hop makes the catch. They end up scoring a touchdown on, like, the next play on another just ball to D-Hop that was contested this time. So, I don't know. I I was underwhelmed with the Cardinals, but, again, this reinforced. If you let the Cardinals hang around, they're going to make you pay, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, I think that you touched on my exact feeling about this game, and it is that we saw the Cardinals play pretty poorly, frankly, and yet there was a feeling of inevitability. And that is what great teams have. And again, that's not going to be quantifiable statistically, but there are games in which you feel like one team may be outplaying them in this certain context, but they're doing everything they can just to hold on and remain in this game, even though the other team isn't playing all that well. And that's what it felt like for the Niners in this one. Everything was labored. Everything was 
a miracle. Like, they force a fumble, and that's the shot of life that they need, and all these things. And for the Cardinals, it was just, you're waiting for the moment when they hit and when they find their footing. And even though they only put up 17 points in this game, and they only had two touchdowns, and it's not like they had a ton of methodical, brilliant drives in this one, again, the feeling was just, it's coming at some point, and that in itself to me is a testament to the fact that this is a really, really good team. I don't think that they were outstandingly impressive in any respect necessarily. Defensively, you hold the Niners to 10 points, but that's pretty deceptive because the Niners moved the ball relatively well in this game and ended up with 338 total yards, 5.7 yards per play. Those are very solid marks. But again, even though they didn't establish the run, it was just, you know they're going to connect eventually. And Rondale Moore continues to establish himself as one of the most outstanding weapons not as far as rookies go, in all of football. Like, that dude is unreal. And we saw him activated as a runner in this one. He had three carries for 38 yards. Cardinals are really good, man. I still don't know if they're in the top, top tier of teams for me right now. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but there's just a different level of faith I have in like the Bills, the Bucks, maybe even the Rams, although I think the Rams are a little bit flawed with what we've seen from them defensively, not living up to expectations. But the Cardinals are right there. They're a top five team in football. And this week, continue to prove that. Because again, when you're off your game and you still find a way to win against a pretty solid team, that's a testament to a really, really good group. I just want to touch on the Rondale Moore point. Dude, he had one of the greatest catches I've ever seen in my entire life on that sideline grab. Oh my goodness. Like, if you haven't seen it yet, go back and watch this game. I don't even know if it's in the highlights because it was just, you know, it wasn't a TD... It was just a big play, but you don't even know if that's in the highlights? You're talking about the toe tap? Yeah. Dude, that's in the 11-minute NFL highlight video. That was insane. It was genuinely one of the greatest grabs I've ever seen, not only because of you know how he was able to stay in bounds and tap that second foot, but it was a pass interference that wasn't called. That corner was grabbing him all the way down the sideline and it didn't matter. He still ended up readjusting his body to make that catch. Like, I don't know, dude. I already knew he was a di- he was a dynamic receiver with the ball in his hands. When you can do that, you're just a complete receiver. And like you said, not just among rookies, not just among young wideouts. This kid's one of the most talented receivers, I think, in the NFL, period. And the Cardinals got an absolute steal. Let me do a quick check-in with you here. What is the ceiling and the expectation for both these teams? Good question. I also want to hear your answer to this. To me, I don't know, dude. I don't know how you can watch how dynamic this Cardinals offense has been and how dominant, and not dominant especially against the Niners, but how solid this pass rush and secondary has been and not think it's Super Bowl or bust. To me, the Cardinals are definitively in the Super Bowl contention bubble. I think Kyler Murray, again, is one of these top five quarterbacks in football. He's one of 97 on my list uh, that I have in that top five group. Him, Terrell Pryor, Brandon Whedon, um, you know, Tom Brandstater. I figured Davis Mills probably just joined the list, right? Yes, he did, certainly. Tom Savage. I got a bunch of guys up there. (laughs) Kyler is in my top five definitively. I think he has to be. He's so dynamic. I just think this Cardinals offense is too dynamic to not be in that group, and this defense is solid enough. The Niners, look, dude, I was impressed. Like, I think with Jimmy G healthy, this is a borderline playoff contention group. I don't expect them to make the playoffs, but there's a chance. And so I think Niners are in my playoff bubble. Cardinals are in my Super Bowl bubble. What about you? 
Yeah, I think that the Niners, even though they started two and three, should still be a playoff team, certainly. I think that it's a really good roster, and I think that when Jimmy G is back, this offense is going to be a pretty smooth machine. And just to reiterate a point that you made, you're absolutely right about Trey. And I guess it's a point that originally I made because you credited me for making it. Now I'm crediting you for pointing yeah. out that I made it. But it's just like you can't take a beating like that. And that can be a weapon for him always, his feet. But it can't be 16 carries a game, dude. Like, it's just ridiculous. And you said it. They don't have a power running back. Like, the Elijah Mitchells of the world, it's just a lot of speed, guys. There's nobody you can put in there. It's use check, if anybody, and they're not going to do that. So the quarterback draws on every third and short. It kind of sucks. It's not a great play call. It became unbelievably predictable as this game went along, and it wasn't effective. And by the way, also the fact that they are always putting the ball in Trey's hands as a runner when it matters most and not as a thrower is telling to you about how they feel about his game right now. Also, last thing on that, Carson, I don't know how they just didn't... How do you not turn to a read option, a speed option, a lead option, a triple option, something that is just going to... Wow, triple option. I mean, even with Chuck up the middle, because again, that's how you utilize him as a power back. You trust Trey to make that right read, but... The, dude, the guy sitting beside me Every third down, uh, they're going to run five up the middle. Guess what they did? They never changed it. It's like it's so predictable. It's an NFL defense, Shanahan. They're not just going to give him the down. And, and again, Trey is not strong enough to just overwhelm guys up the middle. I just, if you're going to continue utilizing Trey in those third and shorts, try options or something that is just going to keep the defense on their toes because the QB draw is not going to work. You're going to end up with a three for 10 third down day exactly like you had against the Cards. And they did run a few options. There were a couple read options. I think there was one speed option, but they didn't have really any significant success there. So I think the Niners could still win a playoff game, dude. Like, I think that if everything gels for them, and I think that they will be a wild card team still, I'm not discouraged. And I think that, again, they're going to be a lot better when Jimmy G is their quarterback again instead of Trey Lance. And I think that the Cardinals are a top three team in the NFC and are contenders. But I don't think they're my Super Bowl favorite out of the conference right now. I think that they are probably still the third team to me after the Rams and Bucks. Another team has tried to force its way into that conversation, though, Logan, to the point where we can't ignore them any longer. And that is the Dallas Cowboys, who are sitting at 4-1 and one right now. They've won four straight. Their only loss was that week one nail-biter to the Bucks. They, and also the LA Chargers, are now sitting at 4-1, and one teams that I think coming into the season, I picked both of them to win nine games. I thought there's some dynamic elements here, but there's also some flaws. Are we at the point where we have to call both these team contenders or how do you feel about where they stand? It's tough. I guess I'd call them contenders just because of the high octane, you know, ability of these offenses. I like the Cowboys just don't let up to, they're going to drop 30 points on anybody they play. The issue for me is this, look, you can look at Trayvon Diggs and be exceptionally impressed with what he's done, and I think you have to. Literally historic interception numbers that he's putting up. It's the only reason that they're staying in these games. This passing a defense still blows. I'm not saying staying in games in general, but you get what I'm getting at. This is not a good defense. This is a big play defense. You don't want to be a big play defense. You want to be a defense. Hell, man, even like the Bills last year. Like the Bills were a bend-don't-break defense. I would rather have a team that will allow you to march on them and kill time but allow field goals instead of a defense that you have to rely on to get interceptions because those are inconsistent defenses. And that's still what I believe with Dallas. Like you can look at these results 
and you can look at them losing to the Bucks by two and like be impressed. They needed four turnovers to get that two point outcome. You know, I'm still really underwhelmed with this with this Cowboys defense, and I still think they are too reliant on forcing turnovers for me to believe in them as genuine contenders. The Cowboys can win a playoff game. Hell, maybe they can get to the NFC Championship game. When you have an offense like this, you're going to be in any game you play in because you can put up points in bundles. I'm still not believe I'm still not a believer in this defense. So for the Cowboys, uh, we'll get to the Chargers in a minute. But I just I'm still not a believer in this defense enough to call them genuine contenders. But yeah, I believe they can win a playoff game or two. Yeah, I think that I feel similarly. I would say that they're a top 10 team right now. I would not say that they are in that real Super Bowl contender tier because I think the defense is still too flawed. But I don't want to understate how ludicrously good this offense is because it is just 30 automatically no matter the opponent with the exception of that Chargers game, which they still ended up winning. They have the number two third down offense in football. They're executing in those big time clutch situations. They have been unbelievably efficient through the air. Dak is completing 74% of his passes. They're top five in passing yards per attempt. We know what he can do with the weapons that he has. They have been dominant on the ground, number two in rushing yards, number three in rushing yards per attempt. So if you are legitimately, arguably, a top five passing attack and rushing attack with a great quarterback, with some really scary weapons, like you're going to win a lot of games. You're going to win a lot of games, and I think this is clearly a top five offense right now, and that alone is going to make them a top four team in the NFC probably, and certainly leaps and bounds above everybody else in the NFC East, which I think they have clearly established. Like I think they're going 6-0 and in the division. I said that I thought that was a distinct possibility on our Friday show. Now that is my outright pick. I think all other teams in this division frankly just suck and the Cowboys are really really good and I think they could win 11 maybe even 12 games this year because of that schedule and because of the matchups they have within their division but I agree with you they're imperfect and I just don't think they have the same two-way ceiling of the Bucks, the Rams or the Cardinals and because of that I'll put them a tier below how about the Chargers Chargers are honestly in a similar boat it's tough dude because I I'm a big Brandon Staley guy, dude. I just think uh, the way we saw him dissect that Raiders defense, and again, I'm not saying that they are Raiders defense blows, but damn, dude, it's like it's like Herbert knew exactly where to go with the ball every play. Like he was looking off guys to deceive the defense, and it was opening up. So, like, I think Staley and Herbert both deserve their credit. I just don't think you can stop this offense, dude. Eckler has been a beast on the ground. There are so many weapons all over this offense. And they just put up 47 on the Browns. Like, dude, the same goes for the Cowboys. Like, they are just going to put up 30 consistently on whoever they play. So, again, I think whoever they go up against in the playoffs, I think they could win a playoff game or two just simply because of their offensive attack. That being said... This is one of the worst rushing defenses in the NFL, and if you've got a solid rushing attack, which they could be in trouble against the Ravens. You saw what the Browns were able to do to them. They're Honestly, Carson, I think they're in the exact same boat for me as Dallas. I think they can win a playoff game or two. I trust this offense to put up points in buckets, but I'm not a fan of this defense. I like the pass rush a little bit, and I like the secondary a little bit. 
like, dude, they allowed 230 rushing yards to the Browns against an even average rushing attack that you're going to get marched on. But look, it didn't even matter against Cleveland. So, I don't know, man. I'm I'm conflicted. I like the Chargers a little more than Dallas just because I'd rather you be stout against the pass than the run, but they're in a really similar tier for me. Yeah, well, I do think it's worth noting that, sure, they put up 47 in this game, but they were trailing for a majority, and Justin Herbert had to effectively be perfect. Like, he had five total touchdowns and 400 yards through the air and had to go and march them down the field when they needed him most. But I do think that's interrelated with why the Chargers have been to me, a surprising team. Because when I picked them to win nine games before the year, I was like, looking at this roster, I don't even know if they're a nine-win team. But I have a tremendous amount of faith in Justin Herbert, and so I'll pick them to get there. And what I said, and what I think we agreed on is, if they are going to take the leap to being an 11-12-win team, it is going to be because Herbert is so outstanding and is a borderline top-five quarterback that he is enough to carry them to that point, even if they are very eh defensively and they're not going to rely on the run game a whole ton and that's kind of what's happened like Justin Herbert is to me not a top five quarterback because I think that the talent at the position is just so insane right now but he is really knocking on the door dude in the top 10 is disgusting he's clearly in the top 10 and there's just barely a throw that he can't make he's accurate he's composed he has every physical tool and uh, He's just special, man, and he's the reason to me that the Chargers have been a top five third down offense. He's the reason that they have been such a productive offense these last three weeks, and he is going to win you a lot of games just with his talent, with his production through the air, which is ability to drive you down the field when you need it most. That being said, you mentioned the run defense. They are dead last in rushing yards allowed and rushing yards per attempt allowed. That is brutal. I do wonder if this offense can be a bit one-dimensional at times, and it may be that they're so good through the air that it doesn't kill them, but that's a minor concern for me. And overall, I think I would say that they're probably my fifth team in the AFC. I still think that they're below the Bills, the Ravens, and the Chiefs, and it's close between them and the Browns, but it just kind of looks easier for the Browns. Like, They will run on you for 200 yards kind of at will. I like their defense a little bit more because they're going to generate more pressure up front. And then Baker, we just know that he can kind of do what he has to do. So Herbert has had to be so good for them to win these last three games, but I don't know why we would expect anything else from him. Like he is that great. He had the best rookie quarterback season ever last year, and he has clearly improved in year two. And We are about to enter probably the greatest era of quarterbacks ever. Like, what we have from just the last five draft classes with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, are you kidding me, dude? And by the way, Logan, I was sitting down and I was thinking about this. The guys who have been the most controversial picks, who everybody has written off and said, oh, they're going to be a bust, are the dudes who are great. Like, almost across the board. Herbert. I actually really like Justin Herbert, but everybody was, oh, he's so inaccurate. He's going to be a bust. He was picked too high. And guess what? Immediate stud. Josh Allen, look, I can't say I was on the right side of that one. There were very few people who thought, yeah, Josh Allen should be a top five pick in the draft. And yet, he has justified that value. Even... Obviously, Lamar ended up going 32nd, so it's not like he was a top-flight pick, but I think most people thought he was not going to succeed at the next level. Patrick Mahomes, 
was a guy who shot up draft boards and was not supposed to be the kind of top half of the first round pick that he was. Kyler Murray even. Sure, he was the number one overall pick and maybe doesn't fit this mold as well as others, but there was so much about his size. And he also shot up very late in the process. And like the sure things, the Sam Darnolds, who's another good example. Josh in recent, Rosen. Josh Rosen, sure. Maybe people cooled on him a bit, but like the refined traditional pocket passers are not the guys who are doing anything right now. It's the freak athletes with crazy arms and crazy feet who have room to grow that are really just turning heads and changing football. Yeah, and I, I even add in Baker Mayfield. Not that he's like he fits the mold that you're talking about, the freakish uh, athletes with crazy arms, but everybody hated on that pick. And like again, I'm not even saying he's in the top pantheon of these quarterbacks that are going to lead the charge, but like that's the minimum. Like that's that's the minimum that you're getting out of these guys. Like it's, I completely agree. I think this is the best. Hell, man, for both sports that we cover. I think we are reaching the best football and the best basketball in the history of the two sports. Plain and simple. Unequivocally, the best offense in the history of the two sports. Like, that revolution is here, man, and it has been here for some time. So, I would say, ultimately, I don't view either team as a Super Bowl contender right now. I don't think that they're at that level as all-around teams, but I do think that, again, they're probably top 10 groups in football and they should probably be double-digit win teams. I don't think the Chargers are going to win the division. I think the Chiefs are going to come back and they're going to do some Kansas City stuff, and I think there's going to be some slight regression from L.A., but a very good team nonetheless. All right, so we thought this was going to be a short show. It hasn't been all that short thus far, and yet, in a lot of people's eyes, we may have buried the lead because... It's just kind of how we do things here on Nerd Sesh. We talk overwhelmingly about what happens on the field, on the court. We dive deep into our analysis of it all. But the biggest story in football right now is not about what happened on any field. It's about John Gruden resigning from the Raiders organization after a number of emails surfaced, largely from about a decade ago, many of which were with Bruce Allen, formerly of the Washington football team, and... uh, There was all sorts of stuff that was of pretty shocking and problematic nature. Racist stuff, homophobic stuff, him uh, degrading the fact that women were being promoted to referee positions. I just, a, a ton of stuff that ended up being ultimately the cause of a large enough firestorm to where he has now been, uh, I guess not fired, but he has resigned from his post. So I'll just sort of throw it over to you, Logan. What are your thoughts here? So first, I want to say there's no room for any kind of language like this uh, in the NFL, in the, in the world today. And I think he's being punished, rightly so. But I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding about why Gruden has been let go, Carson. It's not because he said these things, right? Because people change over the course of a decade, right? It's not... It's not because just simply that he said these things, and they're horrible things that he said in these emails. It's because this is how you lose a locker room, right? Like, as a head coach of a team and in a, of an organization, a league that is, what, over 70% African-American, when you have a gay player, an openly gay player on your roster, like, he's not being punished, again, because he just said these things, because people's opinions change. And I think we have seen the culture of the league and of the world change a lot 
It's because how can these players play for a coach that did believe these things, that has said these things in emails nonetheless? And also on that, Gruden, how can you be so dumb, bruh? How can you be so stupid to say these things where everything on the internet is tracked these days? Also, I want to say something else uh, on this. Carson, it has enraged me that all of the all of the backlash has come after the LGBTQ negative statements surfaced about Gruden. There was no, there was relatively no backlash after the racist and misogynistic comments were said. It came at the hands of the gay community, and that pisses me off because, like, yeah, there was mo- there was moderate backlash, but the resignation and the massive, uh, the massive backlash on Gruden came after the LGBTQ statements came out. It just, it just made me mad because I felt like there was not enough outrage over the racist and misogynistic comments, although all of it is a horrible, horrible look. Yeah, to me, the rationale there is probably that you go from having really the one racist quote mm-hmm. come out and that's sort of the story to then having dozens of things, much of which was homophobic, but also more misogynist stuff in there, stuff about him being opposed to players protesting the national anthem, saying Eric Reed should be banned from the league. Like, to me, it was just an issue of volume to where we've seen people survive standalone statements that are egregious and awful. But when you're looking at dozens and dozens of emails and claims, to me, I don't know that it was about the community targeted at least the way I perceived it, as much as it was, okay, this is just like overwhelming evidence at this point. I guess what I'm getting at too is I just felt like that was swept under the rug for other things. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that any of these statements should hold more weight. I just thought that one was swept under the rug. All of these are... It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable, man. And I'm just disgusted. I'm, I'm glad that... I'm glad that Gruden did the right thing in resigning because I don't think you can come back and coach a team after this. But also, again, like I said, how can you have guys in the locker room that look up to you after you say these things? Again, when you have a team that is majority African-American, when you have an openly gay player on your team, it's just disgusting. Yeah, absolutely. From a moral standpoint, really, you put it well, disgusting and inexcusable and unacceptable and all these things. I also think that... You just kind of need to look at it from a rational standpoint. It's what you touched on with him losing the locker room. Like, I understand that the way that dialogue with these things progresses, a lot of people look at it and go, you know, hey, you wouldn't want to use your job, lose your job for something you said X years ago. And it's like, look, bruh, I know that you love working at Olive Garden, but like, you're not making a hundred million dollars. You don't have to lead 53 men. You know, nobody cares really about what you say. I can go and tell you that it sucks and that you're a bad person because you said these things, but it's different when there is a public spotlight on you and there are so many people who are relying on you. It's just like what we've seen with Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer did something that isn't, I mean, look, personally, I'm anti-infidelity, okay? Call me crazy. But like, that happens all the time, but it's different when you're in a position where you are a public figure. That's such an intuitive concept. And people go and they scream, cancel culture. Dude, it's a business decision. Like, by the way, Raiders probably aren't even that pissed, dude. They get to cut ties with John Gruden. They didn't want to pay him $100 million. And again, exactly. Why would you want that to be the face of your organization? Again, it's different. It's not like you're an everyman working at Lowe's or working at Olive Garden. He is the face of the Raiders organization 
and you don't want a piece of shit being the face of your organization. Yeah, and there is just a point where the backlash, the loss within the locker room, the negative attention, all of these things are just not worth it. It doesn't even have to be a moral decision. It can just be a business decision. I think that that's probably more of what it was because we have seen the NFL, sports leagues in general, they are not overwhelmingly moral, but they are overwhelmingly practical and self-interested. And this to me is not only the right decision, but it's a selfish decision too. They have no incentive to hold on to John Gruden and maybe this torpedoes their season a little bit and it's going to be tough to sustain continuity. And now you have Rich Passaccia in here and it's going to be a very different role for him. He's never been a head coach at the NFL level, but... I think that long-term, this is not going to have a significant impact on this organization. I think it's better for them that they cut ties, that they don't draw this out and make it an uglier affair. And I know that Gruden made the decision publicly. I'm sure that there was at the very least a strong mutual element to this. I don't think John Gruden is just willingly giving up his job because he feels bad, especially because he defended himself initially when the first comment came out. So they made a business decision. John Gruden never going to coach again. I don't know if he'll find a role in media again, probably not for some mainstream outlet, but there will be people who want to hear his voice still, I'm sure. And that's kind of that. He did some really bad things. And at the end of the day, it's about even more than that because it's about the effects that that has on public perception and on how his players and people within his organization view him. And there's just no reason for the team to take that hit for a guy who isn't a brilliant football coach. Like, it's the same practical conversation we have about players. You'll tolerate a lot more from Antonio Brown than you will from, you know, what's his face? Riley Cooper. Like, guess what? If you're really good at your job, sadly, you can still do bad things and get away with it. But if you're not really good at your job and you did a lot of bad things and it's on such a sensitive spot in society presently, like, you're just kind of done for. And I also want to, uh, the Raiders were not only the organization to cut ties with him, the Bucks have removed, uh, removed him from their Hall of Fame, their you know ring of honor. And I just think it's so appropriate, Carson. His last outing is a drubbing at the hands of the Chicago Bears, Matt Nagy and his incompetent offense, and the man that you dealt away in Khalil Mack. I just think it's appropriate. No better way to send him out the door. So there you have it. John Gruden is out, and we here at Nerd Sesh are done for the day. The good news is we will see you all tomorrow again because this is a mega week of Nerd Sesh content. Tomorrow we are back with NBA, wrapping up our division previews by breaking down the Atlantic division. We put it off as long as we could because of Ben Simmons stuff. Turns out Ben Simmons is just going to play for the Sixers. I mean, that to me seems to clearly be the most likely outcome, and... That's that. But we will dive into all of it tomorrow. You can also consume the content that we have already produced this week and last week and really from any time ever because it's all saved on our YouTube channel. We live stream generally two shows a week, touch on the NBA and the NFL. We also do a third show live in studio, which you can listen to only on audio form. Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your audio content. The links to that will be in the description. You can also see on our YouTube channel, the video-specific content that we do, video essays, video breakdowns. I just did one on De'Aaron Fox, as I mentioned earlier, and why he is so much better than he gets credit for. Logan has one coming later this week that you should all keep your eyes peeled for. Hopefully, I have one coming. 
by this weekend or at least before the NBA season tips off. So stay tuned for all of that. Follow us on social media. Twitter's at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram is at nerd sesh. And with that, as always, I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. <laughs>